Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Tuesday, May 4. Just ahead, Tyson Foods taking a vegan bite out of Beyond Meat's sales. And a huge surge in RVs leads to a sales boost for Camping World, or was it really guns? And we'll drill down to the next generation of Goodyear tires with Eric Swergold of Firestorm Capital. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI power tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But hit that subscribe button and catch every show. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and let us know what companies you want us to talk about. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to dig deep and explain some of the big ideas driving business. Joining me, as always, producer extraordinaire Isaac Webster. Isaac, what's going on in the world of business today? What do we have to know? Hey, Corey, here are the stories Wall Street was talking about today, Tuesday, May 4th. Stocks fell slightly, dragged down by shares of technology companies like Apple, Facebook, and Alphabet. The S&P dipping from its all-time high. The Nasdaq shedding over 2% at one point in its worst session since March. Also weighing on stocks Tuesday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying it's possible the Fed may have to raise interest rates to keep the economy from overheating if the White House's spending plans get the green light. The Yellen was speaking at the Wall Street Journal CEO Council. Of course, if you look at if you brought, take a broader look of the yearly view of the market, the Dow is up 43%, the S&P 46%, and the Nasdaq is higher by 56% over the last 12 months. So don't come whining to me about your 2% down day, anybody. Exactly. Now, after Tuesday's closing bell, we did get some earnings, and one to look at is Lyft. Lyft slashed its losses and reiterated its goal to be profitable on an adjusted basis in the third quarter. The company continued cost cuts to allow it to earn more per ride. Interesting. Uh, interesting time for Lyft. Uh, the, the, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, but the, the demand for uh, uh, Uber, Lyft, you know, those cars for hire uh, is rising really fast, and the drivers aren't quite there to respond to that demand in a lot of big cities. So we'll see what they've got to say about that today. And also, we have Goldman Sachs. It's asking most of its employees to return to the office by late June. Now, this is according to the New York Times. The paper says some Goldman executives are just eager to return to pre-pandemic routines. I would just say, take a number. We all are. Yeah, well, okay. Good luck getting the Goldman uh, partners in June to abandon (laughs) the Hamptons for the office in lower Manhattan. I don't see that happening. (laughs) Yeah. Corey, what stocks are you drilling you down on today? I want to take a look at Pfizer. Pfizer reported earnings today, and they were spectacular. Pfizer trades under ticker PFE. Shares rose just a hair on Tuesday, but they've gained over 12% over the last 12 months. So talk to us about these earnings. 
Well, the stock may have gained 12% in the last 12 months, but sales in the first quarter were up 24% over the previous year. We all know why. Yeah. The COVID uh, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, uh, vaccine, that gave them $3.5 billion in sales in the first quarter. Wow. About 60% of that was in the U.S., 59% to be exact. Uh, and that was 24% of their global sales. If you look at it another way, Without the COVID business, Pfizer sales would have been up just 8%. But with the vaccine business, Pfizer sales up again 42% uh, year wow. over year. That is significant. I think it's interesting, though, that you know we're starting to wonder how uh, long this business will last for Pfizer and what it means, uh, not just because we are dreaming of an end to the pandemic, but we're also seeing some worrying signs that uh, vaccination rates are slowing down, that some vax deniers are refusing to get the, the vaccine. Some people are concerned in, in different parts of our economy. Um, uh, and, and interestingly, the, the CEO, Dr. Uh, Albert Borea of Pfizer, he said he wasn't that surprised there's been a drop in the number of vaccinations in, in the U.S., but interestingly, he sees a long-term business, and I mean beyond this year, in selling COVID vaccines and boosters actually for many years to come. Uh, the truth is that uh, as we are vaccinating more and more people, uh, the people that are reluctant to get the vaccine are uh, enriching the remaining pool. So it's uh, normal to expect that uh, we will see uh, a drop in the vaccinations. But um, I believe that uh, the entering of uh, additional pools like younger people uh, was the expected approval of our 12, 11 to 15 years old vaccination also will provide an additional increase in the vaccination rates. Um, all in all, I think uh, U.S. is doing a very good job and the focus of all should be to convince those people that uh, um, they have still fear uh, about the vaccine and that uh, they must do the right thing. Uh, now, beyond 22 and 23, <laughs> first of all, we believe, as we said multiple times, that there will be a need for boosters uh, and uh, there is a need uh, likely from now all the way to France and then believe that the likely annual revaccinations uh, or let's say regular revaccinations will be um, required. So, Isaac, I found that shocking, uh, the notion that uh, while the science isn't quite there to tell us this, that the company is saying, yeah, there's going to be shots and there's going to be boosters, possibly annually, for for this version of COVID or the next SARS uh, that comes behind it. Uh, that's going to be a great big business for Pfizer. Again, if they did $3.5 million in a quarter, it won't be that big in years in the future, but it sounds like it could be uh, sizable. Yet another flu shot that we're going to have to get every year, right? I guess. Uh, but this year, these are uh, a lot more revenue than flu shots, at least for the near term for Pfizer. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Tyson Foods. Tyson trades under the ticker TSN. Shares dip 1% Tuesday, but they've gained 40% in a year. What's going on with Tyson? So Tyson, of course, is the biggest producer of animal meat by sales, principally chicken, right? Um, and they have been for quite a long time. So interestingly, they're taking a look at non-meat meats, non-animal meats, yes, plant-based products. 
They introduced their first ones in 2019. They added some new uh, products today, patties, uh, burger patties, bratwurst, Italian sausage, and ground meat. It's made from pea protein. Uh, and that's a big deal because it's a growing market. It's also a big deal because they've got a competitor there in Beyond Meat, which itself is launching a new version of its uh, plant-based Beyond Burger at grocery stores uh, this week. Um, so it's it's interesting. You've got uh, Tyson coming out with earnings uh, just a week from now, but clearly they wanted to get ahead of the new Beyond Meat release and put a little pressure on this uh, this upstart competitor that has a fantastic stock valuation. But uh, Tyson really has the these this space, this shelf space, if you will, the freezer space for uh, existing products. Now, Isaac, uh, you're you know you're a fancy Hollywood guy. You probably eat all this fancy organic and plant based stuff. I eat a lot of Beyond Beef, actually. Do you really? Oh yeah. Full now, disclosure. Now, oh, so oh, that's your that's your uh, that's your disclosure <laughs> on that one. Good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, and, and, okay, occasionally Impossible Burger, but mostly Beyond Meat and Beyond Beef. So yeah. if, if, if you've got the might and the branding power of Tyson, what name brand do you think they're going to slap on their, their wonderful new plant-based meat? Well, uh, no offense to Tyson, but I'm assuming it's going to be unimaginative. I, I'm not sure. Maybe meatless meat? I thought they'd go with something the, the like non, that. Or, the unmeat? Or green meat. The unmeat. The uncola. Seven <laughs> meat. I don't know. Uh, no. They're going with Jimmy Dean. Wait, so wh- what? They're using their name brand that's already well-known in the meat business, yeah. in the processed meat business, and that's Jimmy Dean. Here is uh, the CEO, Sam Banks. That brand has just tremendous um, value to the customer. And, and if, you've, if you've been to a, a retail grocery store and look at the freezer, the breadth and depth of that portfolio resonates with just a, a variety of customers Plant-based protein, uh, not only do we have a phenomenal substrate in our innovation there, but we think that that, that brings another customer to that freezer aisle and complements our business. And so uh, it was a very thoughtful approach, and, and you'll see more of that to come. Yeah, our investments in plant-based protein uh, are continuing to, to show velocities and results that, uh, that we would expect, so we'll continue to be investing in that area. So I thought that was just super interesting of these guys to sort of use the Jimmy Dean name. Now, here's why I think that's super clever. Everything in the grocery store is about getting space on the shelf or in the freezer, as these guys talk about. If they added a new name to the product, if they called it, let's say, drill down plant-based meat, they would suddenly have to refight for that space. But because they've already got some space allotted to Jimmy Dean, it'll be easier for them to swap some some uh, 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 pork sausages out and some plant-based pea-made sausages in and keep that shelf space in the store. And like I said, put a little more pressure on Beyond Meat and Impossible. Yeah, that is a good strategy. Now that I give it some thought, even though I did find it kind of shocking that they would just go with Jimmy Dean. But, you know, this, I guess, could possibly win over traditional meat eaters to try out a plant-based protein. You know, but it's not a former vegan like myself. This is Jimmy Dean. I'm not going to reach for a Jimmy Dean. But, you know, who knows? If it's good, it's good. Corey, what's your third drill down? All right, let's look at Camping World Holdings. CWH Holdings, CWH shares rose almost 10% Tuesday, but wow, they've gained 464% over the past 12 months. Why? What's happening with Camping World? 
Well, this look, this is a well-run company that is having its moment. Um, everyone wants to be in an RV and camper uh, if they can get their hands on them. Revenues, I'm just going to talk about what happened in the first quarter, which they reported this morning. Revenues went from $431 million to $1,558,000,000 in the quarter. Wow. Gross wow. profits went from $218 million to $521 million. Their margins increased by almost 400 basis points, or 4%. And their, their, their profits, their income from operations, if you will, went from $155 million to $169 million year over year. And much of that business uh, was about RV and campers. Uh, that was 62% of their sales in 2020. And uh, just looking at the sort of the, the scope of all of last year, the, they're reporting first quarter results um, this morning. But about 17% of their business uh, is not RVs and campers. It's what they call products, services, and other. Other. And that other, that other includes guns. They do not break this out. Uh, years ago, they bought a company called Gander, uh, uh, which they now call Gander RV and Outdoors, but it used to be called Gander World. It was a big seller of guns, including uh, AR-15s. Now, um, it doesn't look like they sell those types of guns anymore, but they warn in their annual report that uh, efforts to restrict the sale of firearms could have a negative impact on their business. But they have really re-architected their business um, away from all the other stuff that isn't RVs and camping, they've closed a lot of stores and they want to only have stores that are able to um, uh, service purchasers of RVs and campers. The real story here is just fantastic demand for RVs. And the problem is they can't get enough inventory of those RVs. And they're actually using their technology and their understanding of their customer and the databases with which they use to understand their customer as an advantage to helping low inventory. Look, there's, there's no doubt that there uh, is an inventory shortage based on the explosive demand that we are seeing every single day that we wake up. And I think a lot of people thought that the demand was solely tied to a COVID reaction. But you know, for the last several months, many, many parts of the country have been opened up and people are back to business and the demand doesn't seem to be uh, taking a breath. Uh, we're disappointed that we don't have more new inventory, uh, but because of the strength of our balance sheet, because of our RV evaluator tool, because of the size of our database, we're able to tap into other unique proprietary systems that allow us to grow our inventory on the use side, which is up about 20 plus percent. So interesting, CEO Marcus Limonis there telling us about how they've been able to use their database to, f to create inventory out of uh, customers who might be ready to sell the thing that they bought and, uh, and put that right back on, on the shelf and, and keep their sales surging. Uh, just a fantastic story of, a, like I said, I think a really well-run business. All right, up next, Eric Swergold of Firestorm Capital. He's going to help us drill down on Goodyear tires. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes 40,000-plus investor events annually across 10,000-plus global equities. Learn more at ERA.com slash drilldown. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. All right, welcome back to the drill down. Today we're drilling down on Goodyear Tire and Rubber GT 
is the symbol. And joining us right now, Eric Swergold of Firestorm Capital. Uh, Eric, good to see you and and hear you. Talk to me about how Goodyear came to your attention. I first noticed it when it did a, a merger recently with uh, with Cooper Tire and Rubber. Thanks, Corey, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Goodyear came to my attention at the end of last year. I started thinking about ways to play a theme of more miles, meaning I started noticing on the road more traffic, uh, more people getting out and about, the economy reopening. And even though it was December and cases were still spiking, I was hopeful things would get better. And I started looking at uh, ways to play the theme of more miles. And so I started looking at things like tires. Uh, so beyond energy, tires, um, truck stops, stuff like that. So I looked at Goodyear and it was incredibly cheap. I started doing some work on it. And one of the things that surprised me was, you're not gonna believe this, but Goodyear is an EV play. It's an electric vehicle play. Come on. It's, Yep. It's hard to believe. It's cheap stock. I bought it because it's a cheap stock with a lot of signal right. earnings leverage. But and I should say on the, on the drill down on, on, on some level in the drill down, we don't really care about the stock prices itself or the valuations. I want to understand how the company works. So how could this company benefit from the move away from gas powered vehicles to EVs? Well, guess what? An EV needs tires. And so the tires that are needed by an electric vehicle are actually much more high performance much more expensive, and most importantly, much higher margin. So even though GT hasn't broken it out for us, they have begun talking about the fact that they are on Teslas. Uh, the, the interesting thing about a tire for EV is because the car itself is quieter, the tire has to be quieter. And yet you want the same kind of traction and performance with a quieter tire, so it, it requires uh, much more engineering to be in the tire. So Goodyear's a bit of an EV play, it's a cyclical play. You know, I bought it because the stock was at the time under 10 bucks. In the last cycle, they earned $4 peak earnings. Um, they've since beaten two quarters in a row. So $4, $4 for the year, uh, which- $4 dollars annualized earnings power. Right. Now that was before they bought Cooper Tire and Rubber, which I estimate could add another 10 to 20% earnings power to that. Not next year, but towards peak earnings in a couple of years. So let's say the peak earnings for Goodyear could be $5 in a few years. And interestingly, that was mostly a cash deal. Why does that matter? Uh, you know, there was about, I think, 0.9 shares of stock as well as uh, a bunch of cash for the Cooper of shares. But it sort of suggests that uh, this won't be dilutive. It'll be additive to earnings uh, probably in the near term. Yeah, I mean, management's basically said neutral in the very short term and accretive shortly thereafter. I think they're being conservative. We've all seen how companies use these mergers. They use mergers to bury costs and write things off. So I think you'll see some good things come out of this merger beyond what they've already said. Uh, additionally, merging with Cooper gives them a little more market share in China as well. Um, Asia Pacific's a you know meaningful part of the business. Um, they sell about 55 million tires. Um, about 7 million of those are in Asia. So it helps. And that's, so that's that's the Goodyear or that's the com combined Goodyear Cooper? That's the historic Goodyear. So you probably add about 10% to that for, Interesting. for Cooper. So, and you, you know, you mentioned electronic vehicles. The other thing about those vehicles is they're a lot heavier. Um, uh, yep. And so, you know, there's there's a concern about what that means for our, our, our infrastructure and our roads and our bridges that are getting to, you know, already have already been trashed before we started running these very heavy electric vehicles on it. But it's interesting too, because Goodyear has tended to be more focused on American vehicles, heavier vehicles, um, and and less so 
um, uh, the European manufacturers. It seems like the thing that they've missed out on in recent years is the very high margin 17-inch tires that the uh, European tire competitors um, have done better with. Yeah, you know, on, on the electric vehicle side, the tires not only are, not only are electric vehicles heavier, there's also different torque applied to the tires by braking. So, for example, when when hybrids and electrics originally came out, people were finding that the tires wore out much much faster than a typical tire. So, the tire companies have had to upgrade the tires for those vehicles. Um, that's intriguing. Is it an entirely different kind? Of, entirely. There's a pun to be had there. I got to work on that. But is it in, is it entirely a different kind of tire? I would say it's entirely different. It's probably more like they have to put a little more engineering into the tread design to get equal traction with with quieter ride. And how does that probably, affect their dis, How does it affect distribution of these things? What What do you mean by that? Well, like, what's does, do they go to different? You know, because they're introducing new product, does that change the places where they're distributing the tire? Uh, are there new? Have they got opportunities to get into certain uh, automobile manufacturers, OEMs oh, okay. they didn't yeah, so have they, before? So they are selling, like I mentioned earlier, to Tesla directly. Uh, so they are in the OEM business there, um, and then they're also selling them as replacement tires uh, through their tire dealerships for the same use. So. It's the same channel. It's just different. It, you know, as the market becomes more, as more electric vehicles are on the road, you're going to find that you know, hopefully they'll get the best share of it because they've been super active in it uh, to begin with. But going back to my earnings power comments, you know, if you think they can earn four or five dollars a share, you don't have to put a big PE on this stock to make a lot of money. You put a seven PE on four dollars. That's twenty eight bucks. Even five, I can do that math. Even five, even on five dollar earnings, with you know, if you assume Cooper uh, is accretive, that gets you thirty five off a of, you know seventeen to eighteen dollar stock price. Um, I know we've been talking about inflation. Uh, I heard on your podcast yesterday you're talking about Mohawk and inflation there. Uh, Goodyear says that they're going to see cost inflation of about fifteen percent in the second half of the year, and they and they say they need five percent pricing increases to make up for those costs. And they say they've taken more than that, half of that already with no pushback. So I'm surprised that it's as small. I mean, with, you know, the principal ingredients and tires, uh, again, I'm no, neither a mathematician nor a chemist, but the principal ingredients and tires are oil and rubber. And uh, rubber prices have gone up. Oil prices have gone up quite a bit in the last uh, uh, six months, call it. They have, but, you know, you also have manufacturing costs and the shipping costs of a pretty heavy heavyweight product. Yeah. So when you add in all those things, it's not as much as you might think. So, but it's interesting they've been able to take that cost from consumers. That you know, I'm I'm listening to you know we listen to so many conference calls here in the drill down, and and you know we've had so many companies talk about raw material inflation really uh, coming at them very strong and aggressively over and over again. Yeah, I mean, fifteen percent in the second half is a pretty big move from basically what they had. They had margins that were being helped by uh, last year's pricing when the world collapsed. So, fifteen percent is a pretty big jump in, in cost. But they say they can make up for it with just a five percent increase in price. So, and they and they're what more did, than halfway there already. So, now what did happen during COVID to these guys? Obviously, miles driven were way down. Um, the traffic was a lot lighter. I was kind of amazed that traffic accidents and fatal traffic accidents were actually up big time last year. Um, but what, what was sort of the, the big effect for them uh, with the pandemic and how did the company respond? 
Well, like most companies, they you know they they cut a ton of costs out of their business. Um, they laid off some people, consolidated some facilities, uh, cut their purchases of commodities way back, and then they were hit on the top line by a couple things. One is uh, OEM sales of cars were way down. Now they're back up. Um, second thing was people stopped driving, so they didn't need to replace their tires as often. So that was really bad. Uh, third thing that happened was they also sell their their tires through Walmart, through Walmart's auto centers. Um, that was, they, uh, Walmart closed that business entirely, temporarily, and, and just recently reopened it. So it's just climbing back. So they were hurt pretty big time on the on the top line. But a lot of those businesses are coming back. And <clears throat> interestingly, on this most recent call, myself and other shareholders were very concerned about. Uh, the hit to the OEM sector from the chip shortage. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So Ford had come out uh, just a week or so earlier and, and had taken down their production. And so I think people were very nervous about the Goodyear quarter. And they said that they were able to reallocate their manufacturing that would have been used for domestic OEMs to their higher end replacement vehicle business. So the higher end replacement replacement tire business <clears throat> has been strong enough to make f- up for all the OEM uh, losses. Wow. Is, is that really because they just had already had uh, such a big downturn during COVID that, that the recovery, when the recovery can't happen in the auto manufacturers because of the chip shortages, they can just move manufacturing towards that? And maybe actually people probably keep driving their old cars because they can't get the new cars that they want to some degree. Well, I think there was some some shift. And then we also noticed that um, there was a shift away from public transportation as you guys have read about there's been a big rental car shortage. You know, when, when travel got slammed, the rental car companies sold off their used cars because there was huge demand for used cars from commuters who didn't want to take public transportation. And so those cars are all older cars on the road and more likely to need replacement tires. Right. You and I were talking about that the other day, just the rental cars. The cost to rent a car right now are through the roof. One of your friends was saying, what, 175 bucks a day to rent a car in Los Angeles if you can find one? Yeah, some places like 300 bucks. Uh, that's just crazy. That does not bode well for my my summer traveling lacrosse plans. Um, so so as you look at this company, too, I wonder, you know, it's just I, I, it occurred to me that so many companies must look like they are just going to improve so much over the last year that the comps get really uh, easy as the the early and middle part of last year was so bad. Yep. But that's kind of a one or two time event. After that, they've got to kind of actually make hay when the sun is shining in 2021. Well, there's a couple parts of the business that have not yet begun to recover. And so those are going to take more time. So I think those, uh, those can add to earnings in the out year. So for example, um, while they don't break it out, Goodyear also makes tires for aircraft. So that's a big area that can come back. Trucking tires are, are a big area for them. That has already come back, but there's room for them to improve for more than just one year. Uh, interesting, too, that uh, the company is, you know, couldn't be more Midwestern based in Akron, Ohio. Uh, but I, it is striking that the Cleveland Fed has got an inflation prediction of 1.87%, and Goodyear right down the road is saying, yeah, move the decimal a little bit, fellas. Like, you're wrong at 15%. Is there a point at which this raw materials inflation could get ahead of them? Is that something to be concerned about? Because it both will affect their ability to turn a, a greater profit, but also their consumer's ability to buy new cars, to buy new tires. Uh, well, the guest you had on yesterday <clears throat> talked about um, 
Continental Resources and talked about $150 oil. $150 oil, Goodyear is probably not going to be a great stock. <laughs> I would agree. I don't know if we're going to, uh, with all uh, love for Bill Smead, I don't know if we're going to see $150 oil anytime soon. I don't think so either. I, I mean, well, I think oil prices are going to go up. I don't think they're going to $150 overnight. So I, I think Goodyear, you know, so long as it's a slow rise, they can pass it through. If it becomes more serious, then we have to reexamine because it hurts the entire economy, not just the cost structure of Goodyear. Is I also wonder if there's any effect on kind of the infrastructure plans that are being discussed in Washington right now. And it looks like we're going to get some kind of big bill out of there. How big, we don't know. But uh, the notion there that there will be more money spent in public transit, less money spent on automobiles, um, more money towards railroad, less money towards trucks. I wonder if that's a long-term thing or we don't worry about those sort of those five and 10-year trends when we look at a company like this. Well, I'm, I'm very hopeful that our infrastructure plans do actually come to fruition, but the history of government infrastructure plans, as you know, is a lot of talk and not a lot of action. So I think it's going to, you know, it'll take a long time to get there. Well, what if, what an interest, who knew, who knew Goodyear could be so interesting? Have you ever, have you ever been there? Uh, I think it's on I-80 when you see that giant tire uh, in front of the Goodyear headquarters in Akron. I have not. It is a sight to see. To behold, it's a it's a it's a great one. Um, well, Eric Swergold, it's good to see you. Good to hear you, um, Eric Swergold of Firestone Capital, Firestorm Capital, I should say, uh, joining us from the, the the lovely Marin County right here in Northern California. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right, well, let's make the drill down bite. Also about Goodyear, Isaac. I'm going to get to Isaac and see if he can guess what percentage of Goodyear's tire sales. Our two OEMs, the original manufacturers of cars, new cars. What percentage of Goodyear sales are sold uh, for new cars? That will be the Drill Down Bite when the Drill Down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, the equity platform with event intelligence and insights for fundamental investors. Seamlessly connect to any earnings call and take advantage of ERA's AI-powered tools. Work faster and smarter with ERA.com. And please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. We're everywhere. But hit that subscribe button and catch every episode of The Drill Down. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with us on LinkedIn and sign up for our newsletter on our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we are back with The Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot in Isaac. I asked you to guess, uh, you heard Eric Swergold talking so much about the relationship that Goodyear has with the OEMs, with the car manufacturers. What percentage would you guess last year's uh, OEM sales fell to? Mm, I would say 60%. Would you believe it was down to 17%? So they really were able to shift their sales, 83% of their sales, to non-OEM business um, uh, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, which I think I wouldn't have thought that – there's so many puns that you could drive this business <laughs> so effectively. That's not good. I need to stop doing that. I'm sorry. No, I like the puns. I'm all about to a pun. To all of our listeners, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. He is Isaac Webster. Every weekday, we're going to give you the business story behind Stocks on the Move, available on all your favorite podcast platforms. And, and hit us up on Twitter, at Drill Down Pod, if you have a stock you think we should take a look at.